Sin is not a popular point of consideration in our day, but it's where we have to start in order to get to the good news of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk about what sin is and why Jesus is the only answer for it. Hello, I'm Joe Van Hoogen, the pastor of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho, and the director of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our ministries, let me encourage you to go to breadoflifeboise.org. From Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32, we've learned that sin is a power so great that it can only be overcome by a power greater than itself, and that power is God alone. And we've seen there as well that sin is a deliberate act of those who suppress the truth of God himself as he has revealed himself to all human beings. This deliberate act of suppressing the truth leads to an avalanche of ruin, which we'll consider today, which only the Lord Jesus can deliver us from. And still man is defiant of what God is making known to him. And so we see that in verse 32 again. God is making known to him all these truths. And God ultimately is dialing that truth down to the fact that man has to give an account before God and that God has a righteous way for man. It says, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also prove of those who practice them. What's being told here? The Spirit of God is bringing a commentary of truth and revelation of God in creation to every person. And in light of that knowledge of God the Creator, the Spirit of God is in the presence of God. He's unveiling the attributes of God. And as he does, he begins to unveil in that light a sense and awareness of people's sin. And he also begins in that light, begins to unveil to them a sense and an understanding of the righteous way they should live. And he also is making known in light of that sense of their own sin and the righteous way they should live of judgment. We talk about this all the time. That's John 16 verses 8 through 11. That the Spirit convicts people of sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what he's leading us. That's what he's doing universally in every place. And it's rooted in this witness, this general testimony that comes to man throughout all of creation comes down to their heart and their soul. and It's what man suppresses. And as man begins to suppress that and continues to suppress that, this defiant, determined sin will sweep that person to a point at which they not only pursue the sin, but they enjoy others who are doing the same thing, even though they know it will be judged. Even though they know it will be judged. That's the bottom line of the defiant nature of sin. You vicariously thrill yourself with what others are doing that you yourselves may be doing or what you might not at the moment have the opportunity or courage to do. That's the seamy side of sin. It's the worst act. You know, it's, it's almost worse than doing it. It's taking pleasure in those who did. The grief of it is where sin is taking our world and where sin is taking our society. That's the second thing I want to say here. Sin is debasing. It leads people into a downward and degrading spiral. Look at verses 24 and 25. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Let me just say this, that human beings are made in the image of God, and this is an elevating and uplifting truth. I'm made in the image of God. I might be a broken image. I might be a, a fallen statue of the glory of the divine, but I'm a, a broken image of God walking in the garden. What an uplifting truth. But when you make yourself a God, 
when you put yourself at the center of the world and your own desires and your own interests, the degradation has just begun. And you begin to debase yourself by worshiping yourself. Shirley MacLaine wrote a book years ago called Out on the Limb. It was a story of her as a movie star for you young people who don't know who Shirley MacLaine was. She was an old movie star. Wrote a, a story of her journey to self-discovery and they made a movie about it as well. And the penultimate discovery that she makes in this journey is she comes to this grand conclusion which she proclaims on a seashore towards the end of the book and it's that she's God. There is at the shore along this image of her in this story in which she's standing on the shore as the sun is setting and she repeats over and over again, I am God, I am God, I am God. What a pathetic and debasing reality. Listen, if humans are simply made in the image of humans, take a look around. How debasing, how awful. But if we're made in the image of the invisible, all-powerful God, the holy, good, loving, pure, God of truth, God of life, God of goodness, how uplifting is that? How wonderful is that? What an indication of what our potential is. Sin drives us from God, and so it drives us from the nobility of our purpose and our making and the true beauty of the natures as God had created them and intended them and sin leads us increasingly into a place where we're distorted where in the image that's made in us is distorted and we sink into a, a monstrosity a defacement of the divine instead of being broken and marred image of the divine God that we begin to see and look at and God begins to restore in us a sense of the honor that belongs to us we become a caricature of the demonic Sin is debasing this way. Ultimately, sin given its course, and this is the third point here, brings upon a sinner and the sinner a degeneration that completely deforms them. It's just they become repugnant. They become repugnant. That's what you see in verses 24 through 32. Three times in these verses, by the way, we're told that God gives that determined, defiant sinner over to their sin. He says he gives them up, he gives them up, he gives them up. And as God gives them up, you just see them sinking further and further and further into their own degradation, into this defacement, into this degeneration, and this deformity. And God has placed restraints around all of us by his Holy Spirit. He restrains us by our conscience. He restrains us by this awareness of himself. He restrains us by the society he brings around us. But as all these things begin to break down and, and sin begins to take us into its way of complete defacement of the image of God in us, we're just unleashed into a deformity of sin that we can hardly even recognize. We're debased in every single way. And interestingly enough, when you read this and you understand something, you understand that one of the great final expressions of God's judgment is that he takes man who is constantly pushing God away, constantly pushing God away, and God lets him have his way. God gives in to that desire. God lets man push himself away from his presence. And he leaves man to those things. And sin has its way with him. As a result, man begins to delight in what he calls his own self-expression, which is just to indulge in unrestrained carnality. And he's given up the vile passions. That's what we read about in this passage. 
There's the burning with unnatural lust. Uh, he's debased in his morality. He's debased in his thinking. He's demented is the idea in his thinking. He's filled with unrighteousness and sexual immorality, it says, and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness, and he's full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and evil-mindedness, and he becomes a whisperer and a backbiter and a hater of God and violent and proud in it and boasters and inventors of evil things. He, he doesn't just do what's wrong. He keeps coming up with new ways to do what's wrong. Disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. That's it. That's the picture. And then he takes pleasure in those who do the very things that he knows God will one day judge. What a ghastly, awful picture. This is the disgusting end of sin. It ultimately renders us beyond blushing. People dulled beyond shame. Paul said in Ephesians that it's a sin to even speak of those things which are done in secret. If that's true, ooh, what a shame. What a shame enters into the homes of people on a daily basis in our own society. It's a picture of a society that has been swallowed up by the malevolent power of sin and has deliberately allowed itself to be debased in disgusting, the disgusting sewage of sin. What's the answer? For all of that? What's the answer for all of that? Just do the little ones? Just get a little education? Just find somebody to help you manage the big ones you're struggling with? Just a little bit of accountability? What's the answer to all that? The answer is someone who is more powerful than the fierce power of sin. And it's taking your life and giving it in complete surrender to Him. Complete surrender to Him. If this is where sin is wanting to take you in this life, where do you think it will take you at the end of this life? Where do you think it will plunge you? If this is where it's going to plunge you in the here and now, where will it plunge you in the hereafter? Unless you find somebody who can stand its way and defeat it and overcome it and give you victory from it and can wash you from each stain. This is the point of the message today. You look at the forces that are shaping this world and you tell me that the world doesn't need Jesus. You look at the forces that are constantly surrounding your own life, interjecting it in your very soul, and your very attitude, and your very mindset at times, and you tell me that you don't need Jesus. Say it, and it will stick in your throat. You can't honestly evaluate the condition of your life and the life around you and say that there's any hope for yourself apart from Christ and his power and his might to deliver us. We need a power more powerful than the power of sin, and there is only one. There's only one. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father but by me, and he makes this tremendous exclusive statement. He's not saying it because he's, he's just disparaging all the other ideas that people have. He's just saying, I am the only answer. I'm not being exclusivistic here. Here's the reality. I am the only answer against the power you're facing and the destruction that you're facing. I'm the only answer. We need a power that is capable of disentangling our lives from the entanglements of sin. We need Jesus. So sin begins with a willful act of suppression, a turning away from God, an unwillingness to let God be God, and sin is answered by a turn back to God, a look to Him, confession before Him, seeing ourselves in His presence, recognizing our own sin and where it's brought us, and then 
turning to the one that God has offered to us in solution for our sins, the Savior who has died for our sins and who lives now to pour into us his perfect righteousness. Say as a conclusion, if you listen to different sermons on, he gave them over, he gave them over. You, gave, you can YouTube it. You can go and look up uh, commentaries on this. Everybody will say, well, this is a picture of the day and age we're in. And there's no hope for us. God has given us over. It's just a picture of God's ultimate and final judgment in our society and individuals. And I disagree. I believe that every judgment of God is corrective until the last one. Every judgment of God is corrective until the last one. And God will leave you to descend into your sin. And he'll leave you alone as you pursue your sin. In order to awaken you to your sin. He'll let you confront the atrocity of your evil. It's a gracious way of calling you back into his goodness. And his life and his forgiveness. That's what God's doing here. We see all these things and we say, oh, God is judging our nation. Yes, he is. God has turned himself away from our nation. There's no hope for us. No. God's turned us into our own designs and our own desires as an, in an effort, a gracious, loving effort to awaken us to the awfulness of sin and its power and its malignancy so we could turn back to the healer, the one who can heal our land and heal our lives. And there's still hope because there's still God. There's still Him. The church needs to turn into Him every single day. Celebrate Him. It is the answer we need, the answer that the world needs. I think the answer to a message like this, understood and received, is God be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus, bring me always and ever under the power of your blood. Thanks for listening today. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this has been The Bread of Life. For a copy of these messages, let me encourage you to go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.